please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read verses 36 down through chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We continue our study this morning in the life of Jesus as the man of faith. And the writer here in the book of Hebrews, he has had much to say to us about Jesus in his true humanity, that he was a man who was made like us in all things, in our weaknesses, in our human infirmities and limitations. He was made like us so that he might live the life that we live in this present world of sin and under a curse, yet without any sin. And it includes the life of faith that we must live ourselves. And this is the theme that the writer here has in mind as we come to the end of chapter 10, verse 36 and following. He is introducing us here to Hebrews chapter 11, in that great gallery of the men and women of faith, and then that will really conclude in Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, the great preeminent man of faith, the author and perfecter of faith. So this morning we continue this study and we are considering a particular aspect of faith or what faith produces both in the life of Jesus and in the life of all of his people, which is endurance. And we focus this morning on Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36 especially. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The first thing we look at this morning is our need for the endurance of of faith, our need for the endurance of faith. That's what he speaks of here in the beginning of verse 36. He tells us our need. He says, you have need of endurance. And we want to set the context here in in these chapters and glance at a few verses where we will see two words that stand out as most prominent throughout them. And those two words are faith and endurance. And the reason why they are here together is because it is faith that always produces endurance in the lives of those who have 
belief in Christ. This is the theme of these chapters here. And we see the writer mentions endurance there in verse 36. You have need of endurance. And then we see that he speaks of faith in verse 38. He says, but my righteous one shall live by faith, endurance and faith. And then he speaks of both ideas in verse 39. But we are not those who of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith, those who have faith to the preserving of the soul, by which he really means the endurance of life that endures to the preserving of the soul. So we have faith and we have endurance. Then we have faith mentioned again in chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of men of things not seen. And then throughout this chapter, he brings to our attention the men and women of the Old Testament and everything that they did and their exploits were all done by faith, by the grace and strength which faith supplied them. Faith is mentioned 23 times in this one chapter. And if we glance down through the verses, we'll see how many times it says, by faith, so-and-so accomplished, by faith, so-and-so did these things in obedience to the will of God. We can think of the endurance of some of these saints that are mentioned here in this chapter. In verse 5, he mentions, by faith, Enoch. And Enoch walked with God, we are told back in Genesis chapter 5. And he walked with God perhaps for hundreds of years during that wicked period before the flood when the earth was becoming increasingly filled with corruption and violence. And Jude tells us of Enoch, and he tells us that Enoch prophesied as God's prophet, and he said, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. And so Enoch prophesied of the second coming of Jesus Christ in a day of judgment upon all the sinners, and all the harsh and wicked things that they spoke in those days. It took great endurance for Enoch to walk with God at that time and to stand faithfully for him in that generation, and he did so by faith in the living God. Then we come to verse 7 here, and we see Noah, and we read, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. And so Noah was a preacher of righteousness, Peter tells us. And he preached about a coming flood. They had never seen rain. They had never seen any such flood. But for 120 years, as Noah built that ark, he continued to preach righteousness to the people. And it was a great work of endurance. This is what God said of Noah back in those chapters of Genesis, that he did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And so it was a work of great endurance, and he obtained that endurance by faith in the living God. We think of Abraham in verse 8, by faith, Abraham. And then again, down in verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself. And so we have Abraham and Sarah who were called out of the land of the Chaldeans into the land of Canaan when they were 75 years old. 
And they live for more than 50 years in that promised land, living in tents, moving about from place to place, and they never owned any of that land. They were given a promise that they would have a son, and for 25 years that promise was not fulfilled until finally Isaac was born. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when the promise was finally fulfilled. It was a life of endurance that they lived. And how did they obtain that endurance? It was by faith. It was by faith in the promises and the word of God. We see the same thing down in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. When Moses was 40 years old, he thought that he was called by God to deliver the Israelites. And then, at 40 years old, he had to escape from Pharaoh out of Egypt into the land of Midian. And he spent the next 40 years in Midian. And it was when he was 80 years old, he came back to the sons of Israel. When he was 80 years old, he led the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt through the Red Sea. And then into the wilderness, into the wilderness for 40 more years until he was 120 years old in the trials and the afflictions of the wilderness and he finally died. Moses lived a life of endurance through all of those struggles that he faced. How did he do so? It was by faith in the promises of God. And the same thing can be said concerning all of these other saints throughout this chapter. They all lived lives, lives of endurance through the trials, the struggles, and the persecutions of life. And they obtained the strength of endurance by faith, by faith in God and faith in the coming Savior. Where did they obtain that endurance? The answer is only by faith, by faith alone. We tend to think these men and women of this chapter are superhuman in some kind of way. They have strength. They had strength that no other man and woman could possess. But they were really just men and women like us with weakness, with so much weakness. But out of weakness, they were made strong to do the will of God. And how did they do it? By faith, they obtained the endurance that they needed. Faith is utter dependence and confidence in God and in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, for all that we need. They could do nothing of themselves, but they could do all things through Christ. And they cried to him for the strength of endurance, and he gave it to them. And they were enabled to walk according to his will. The word endurance occurs again as we come to chapter 12. We see it at the end of verse 1, where the writer says, let us run with endurance. There we have endurance again, the endurance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. 
Then in chapter, in verse 2, we have both faith and endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And again in verse 3, for consider him who has endured, the same word, endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus now is set before us as the preeminent man of faith, who lived a life of perfect faith. And by his faith, he endured the greatest struggle and the greatest suffering that a man could ever endure by his life facing the hostility of sinners against him. And finally, it comes to its climax in the death of the cross. He endured all these things, and he did so just as all of his brethren did so. By faith, by faith, he is the author and the perfecter, the greatest man of faith who ever lived. And so we see endure, the word endure again, right down once again, down in verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. So what we have in these chapters are these two words that are most prominent that form the theme of this entire section, which is faith and endurance. They are both found together because it is faith that gives endurance. Faith always produces endurance. Endurance, endurance is one of the distinguishing marks of true faith. This is what the Hebrew Christians needed at this time. He tells them back in chapter 10 and verse 36, he says, for you have need of endurance. They needed endurance because of the trials and the persecutions that they were under. And he mentions some of these in the previous verses, if we look back to verse 32, he says, but remember, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. He reminds them that they had begun well. And back in those former days when they were first enlightened by the Holy Spirit, when their spiritual eyes were opened so that they saw <clears throat> who Jesus Christ really is, that he is the great Messiah promised by the Old Testament prophets, they began well. We see the word endure again here in verse 32. You endured at that time with a great conflict of sufferings. Then he says in verse 33 and 34, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, some of them were imprisoned, and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. So he is reminding them here of what happened in the beginning of their Christian life, that at that time they endured these trials and they even, in verse 34, they accepted joyfully, 
joyfully the seizure of their earthly property. They were willing to endure such sufferings. And how were they willing to do so? Because at the end of verse 34, he says, knowing, knowing by faith that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. They were willing to give up the lesser joyfully that they knew because they knew by faith that they would have the greater given to them soon. But now he begins to warn them because they were tempted now to throw it all away and to lose their great reward. He says in verse 36, 35, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. They had begun well. They needed to continue well. But apparently some of them had become weary and began to faint along the way. Others were even abandoning their faith in Jesus altogether. The difficulties that they encountered were proving to be too much for them, and they could not continue anymore in the way, and they abandoned their faith in Christ. Perhaps they thought when they first became believers that they were willing to endure these trials because they thought these tribulations that we are experiencing, they will only last for a little while. The persecutions, the hardships, they will soon come to an end. And we can return then to the relatively comfortable and easy way of life that we had before. But such a thing did not happen. And time passed and years went by, but their trials and their persecutions remained. And now they were tempted to give it all up and return back to Judaism, which they had known before. Judaism, which would have been a more respectable religion. It would have still, they would have still had religion. But it would have been a religion that delivered them from the sufferings and the hardships that they had come to know in following Christ. And it would be a religion, ultimately, that would be an apostasy. That's what it really was, an apostasy from Christ and his truth. When the writer says here in verse 36, he says, you have need of endurance. He probably has in mind the Hebrew forefathers in the wilderness after Moses had brought them out. God delivered them from the slavery in Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm. And they got out into the wilderness. And in Numbers chapter 14, they began to see the hardships that they would experience, the afflictions of the wilderness. And they wanted to turn back to Egypt. And they said to Moses, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They remembered the fish and the onions and the leeks and the garlic of Egypt. And they thought it would be better back there. And they wanted to return. And that's what these Hebrew Christians were tempted to do as well. To turn back under the pressure and the persecutions. They needed endurance if they were to be saved. Endurance is staying power. Endurance is strength of soul to continue under the pressure 
under the afflictions, the hardships, and the losses of being a true believer in this world. Endurance can be defined as a steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of the difficulties and testing one faces in the way. The word endurance comes from a Greek word that means to remain or to continue, and then there's a preposition in the front of it which means under. So what the word means, endurance here, what the word means is to to continue to remain under the trials that we are in, to continue, to continue under the pressures and the tribulations that the gospel brings us into. It is resilience to patiently stand one's ground and to refuse to turn aside to some other way. No matter how great the difficulty may be, no matter how great the discouragements may be and the opposition may be, you have need of endurance. And who suffered more hostility and needed more resilience than our Lord Jesus Christ? And that's ultimately where this is all going. And the writer is telling us to look to him who is the great man of faith, and he is the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the faith that we need to endure. Sometimes the word endurance is translated perseverance. This is the way it is in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, We also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. There's the word. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Sometimes the word is translated steadfastness, like in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. The love of God and the steadfastness, the endurance, they are together as well. James says the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Jesus spoke about endurance in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, when he said, and you will be hated by all on account of me, but it is the one who endures to the end who shall be saved. He said the same thing in Matthew chapter 24. He said, many false prophets, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. That's what Jesus said. So endurance, endurance in the Christian life, perseverance is not an option for us. It is a necessity. And according to our Lord Jesus, It is only the one who endures to the end who will be saved. So when we speak of endurance, we are not speaking of endurance to a certain point in life and then we can lay aside the endurance and the struggles of the Christian life. John Calvin 
said something to this effect, I paraphrase. He said that we are not time service soldiers. What he meant was we are not like soldiers who join the military. And we serve for maybe three, four years for a certain period of time. And then we come to the end of our service. We went off into the war. We fought the conflicts. And now we've served our time and we are done. No. No, that's not the Christian life. It is endurance through the conflicts of life all the way to the end. There is no time at which we do not need this endurance. Nothing has changed. To this day, it is the same today as it was back then. And God will make sure of it because we are all going to the same heaven. And before we arrive there, every one of us must be tested in the fiery furnace of the trials of this present life. It is only by the fiery furnace of trials that faith is proven to be true and genuine because it produces the endurance by which we continue to the end and be faithful to God. Endurance is what distinguishes temporary and true faith. And we can turn to a passage for just a moment in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. And we see this in the parable of the sower and the seed for just a moment. Luke chapter 8. And we'll pick up the reading at verse 11. And Jesus says here, now the parable is this. He's explaining the parable of the sower and the seed. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The devil quickly comes and takes the word away and they care nothing for it. But then in verses 13 and 14, he mentions two other types of soil. And those on the rocky soil, they are those who when they hear the word, they receive, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root in them. And they believe for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. Matthew tells us in his gospel that when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And then in verse 14, and the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and they have gone their way, are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So once again, they have no endurance in walking in the ways of God and they do not bring forth any fruit in maturity in their Christian life. Then we come to that one seed, which is the seed of the good heart and it leads to salvation in verse 15. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance, with perseverance. That's the same word, endurance. You have need of endurance. It is endurance, it is perseverance. It is only by endurance and perseverance that they bear good fruit and hold fast to the word 
of God. So we turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Endurance is that distinguishing mark that distinguishes between temporary faith and true and saving faith back in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is telling us of our great needs, really, in this chapter. There are two things that we really need. The first is for our sins to be taken away by the blood of Jesus. And he has already dealt with that back in the first half of the chapter in the new covenant that Jesus Christ has brought in. By his coming into the world, he has made the one sacrifice that we all need to take away our sins, to cleanse us, sanctify us, and bring us into a right relationship with God. This is what he says back in verse 10. He says, by this will, by the will of Christ in coming into the world, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So our great need is for the blood of Jesus to be applied to us by coming to him by faith. And then he speaks of the new covenant in verses 16 and following. And in verse 17 he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds... He says, I will remember them no more. So this is our greatest need of every one of us here this morning. To have our sins forgiven. To be brought into a new and right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are not a true Christian here this morning, then this is the greatest need that you will ever have in all of your life to come to him, to surrender yourself to him, to rest upon him by faith alone for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He will give you rest if you come to him this morning. But then once that first great need is met, and once we have believed in the Lord Jesus, then our second great need is what he speaks of down in verse 36, is for our endurance in the Christian life. Our first need is to enter through the narrow gate that leads into the narrow way, but then once we are on the narrow way, our great need is to endure on that narrow way to the very end. To come into that celestial city and have eternal life with Christ forever. You have need of endurance, he says. We have many things perhaps we've been thinking about throughout the week that we think we have need of. We have need of a bigger bank account. We have need of Things around the house, we have need of a bigger house, a better car, perhaps better vacations, and perhaps more ease and more comfort in life. And we think we have need of all these things. The writer to the book of Hebrews, he tells us what we really need. What we really need is endurance. 
you have need of endurance above everything else. This is what we really need. We have legitimate needs in this life, but Jesus tells us that those legitimate needs will be met. And this is how they are met. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, endure. Endure in the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. We think we have needs. God tells us what we really need. If we are Christians, we need endurance. Where do we get this endurance? That's the answer of Hebrews chapter 11 and all that he's about to say leading up to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by faith in him that alone this endurance can come to us. He is the perfect man of faith and looking unto him, the author and perfecter of faith, he will supply us with the strength and grace we need to endure. But our second point this morning, we've seen our need for endurance. Our second point more briefly is the will and the promises of God. We see this in the rest of verse 36. We notice the order in which these things are. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. It could be translated as it is in some Bibles. You have need of endurance so that after, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So the order is crucial. First comes doing the will of God, then comes receiving the promise. This is why we have need of endurance. So that we might have endurance in doing the will of God to get finally to the things of the gospel that are promised. The will of God is anything that is found in the Bible. We do not determine the will of God. He does. By every word that he has put in his book. The will of God is the word of God. We could, we could insert that. You have done the word of God. The will of God is the commandments of God. You have done the commandments of God. The duties of the Christian life. When you have done the duties of the Christian life, then you will receive what was promised. This is why we have need of endurance so that after we have done, after we have lived a life of doing the commandments of God, the duties of the Christian life, then we may receive what was promised. What was promised refers to our final salvation. When Christ returns from heaven and we are found in him, having lived this life of doing the will of God, we appear before him, we have purified ourselves by his blood, by walking in his ways, and we see his face and we rejoice and we are brought into his eternal kingdom and he will be our shepherd and he will bring us to the springs of life where we will drink the water of life forever. And we shall be delivered from this world of sin 
and be with him forever. Glorious promises are spoken in the word of God. Now, there are two things at the end of verse 36, really. There's the will of God and there's the promises. The commandment of God and the promises. Many want the promises. Many people want the promises without doing the will of God. Many people want to arrive at the blessings of the gospel without the trials of the endurance on the way that leads to it. There is only one pathway. There is only one pathway that leads to the receiving of the promises and it is the pathway of doing the will of God. There is no bypass. There is no way around a life of doing the will of God. There is only one way to the fulfillment of the promises. Now, when we speak here of doing the will of God, we are not speaking here of any merit that we obtain for our salvation. It is not by doing the will of God that we merit any of the promises. There is no merit in anything we have been talking about. There is no merit in faith. There is no merit in endurance. And there is no merit in doing the will of God. There is no merit in anything that we do. Faith is the gift of God that is given to us in the beginning of the Christian life. And by faith in Jesus and by continually fixing our eyes upon him and looking to him, we receive the strength of endurance from him. And by his grace, we are enabled to continue to walk in the will of God. So all of these things are by grace and by grace alone, but they are always together and they cannot be separated. If salvation was by merit, it could not be by any promise because merit and promise are always exclusive of one another. Here is a salvation by promise that you may receive what was promised and yet, by the grace of God, we must walk in the way of God's commandments. So when the writer here speaks of doing the will of God, what he is doing is he is really giving us a description of a Christian life. What is a Christian? He is one who does the will of God. It is the narrow way that Jesus spoke of that leads to eternal life. It is the way of God's commandments. Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19, he said, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters, what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. That's what matters in the Christian life. James tells us that we should be doers of the word and not merely hearers. The Apostle John wrote in chapter first in his first letter, chapter two and verse 17, he said, the world is passing away and also it's lust. But the one, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Everything is passing away in this present world. The only thing that abides forever is the one who does 
the will of God. He said in chapter 3 and verse 22, we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In chapter 5 and verse 3, he said, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, we read, here is the perseverance of the saints. The same word, here is the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Jesus said about the last day that when he returns and he sits on his glorious throne, he's already told us what will happen on that day. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of God will enter into the promises. There is no merit here because all merit belongs to Jesus in his life and death upon the cross. But what we have here is a description of the life of a Christian and who we are as believers in this world. We are those who are doing the will of God by the grace and strength that Christ provides to us. We do not do the will of God to be saved. We do the will of God because we are saved. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21, he says, God will equip you in every good thing to do his will. He equips us by grace, by the spirit from Christ to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So we do the will of God and walk in his ways in his life. But we do not do it perfectly or sinlessly. In fact, we do it with many failures, with many sins along the way. But what is part of the will of God, especially in the book of Hebrews? That we are always going to the great high priest, Jesus, that we might receive mercy from him, the forgiveness of our sins afresh, and grace to help us in every time of need. He is our great high priest who is in heaven, and who represents us by his blood, and we can be cleansed and washed by his blood and made clean. So in the will of God, the part of the will of God is our continual looking to Jesus and his blood. We might ask the question, what other things are included in the will of God? First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your growth in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior. The will of God for us to keep ourselves unstained, unstained by the sins of the world. The will of God for us is to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God for a Christian is to have a life of prayer, in which we give thanksgiving for everything. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There is the will of God for us in our private lives, in marriage. There is the will of God in our families, in the raising of our children, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is the will of God for us in the work world. There is the will of God for us to be witnesses and to fulfill the great commission and to speak to others of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
There is the will of God for us as individual Christians, and there is the will of God for us also as churches. The church must endure in the will of God as well. This is what we read of in the book of Revelation in Jesus' letters to the churches. He continually mentions this word, perseverance and endurance to those churches. He said to the church at Ephesus, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. You have perseverance, he said, and you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown Weary, he says to the church at Thyatira and Philadelphia, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. And he says, you have kept the word of my perseverance. The same word here, endurance. So the church, the church of Jesus must endure and be faithful to the will of God. What is the will of God for the church? The will of God for the church is to guard the truth of God in the church to make sure that God's word is preached, not just parts of it, not just nice little snippets of it that the people might always enjoy to hear, but the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. Even sometimes when it's sharp edges, the whole counsel of God, so that the church remains the pillar and ground of the truth When you come into God's house on a Sunday morning, you should be confronted with truth. Not from the pastor, but from God, from his word that is preached to you. The church is to hold fast to the truth. The church is to guard the worship of the church so that the worship is according to the word, according to the will of God. When you come to church, you should not be in a church where people just do whatever they want to do and bring in all kinds of man-made inventions and entertainments and make it into something other than the pillar and ground of the truth, make it into a house of entertainment. Paul, the, the apostle says here in chapter 12 and verse 28 that there is such a thing as an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is still a consuming fire. In other words, there is a worship that is unacceptable, unacceptable to God. And though may and men may feel good about it, and may it please them, but it is not pleasing to the Heavenly Father. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us to be careful when we come to the house of God so that we would not offer the sacrifices of fools. And that's what's going on in a lot of places on a Sunday morning. The will of God is for the members of the church to be faithful and fulfill their duties in the life of the church. We just read of, he just mentioned this back in verse 23 of chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So back in verse 36, when he speaks of the doing the will of God, let me put a couple of Bible adverbs in front of that verb when you have done the will of God. 
The Bible adverbs are carefully, diligently, and tremblingly. That's how we should do the will of God. These are Bible words carefully from Ezekiel chapter 36. God said, I will put my spirit within them and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful. You will be careful to observe my ordinances. Careful to do the will of God. Paul said to examine everything carefully. Examine everything carefully to make sure that it is according to the will of God in the scriptures. Diligently. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. He said, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. The same thing in Hebrews chapter 6. And the third word, tremblingly, is from Isaiah chapter 66. He says, God says, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of heart, who trembles at my word. We find the same thing in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The same thing in Ephesians chapter 6 with fear and trembling. This is the only way to do the will of God. Carefully, diligently, and tremblingly. It is a sad thing that many professing Christians take great commandments of God, central prominent truths of his will from the scriptures, and they set them aside and they neglect them as if they did not exist. And their doing the will of God can really be described only as a loose, careless, and casual doing the will of God. People today would say that what I just preached to you is legalism. People would say today, well, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. What do we need to be concerned about this doing the will of God? And my response is, my goal is to get to heaven. That's my goal. That ought to be your goal as well when you come to church. We are not here to play games. We are not here for a religious show. We are not here merely for the purpose of getting more people in. If the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved, that would be most wonderful. But that is not the goal. That is not the end goal of what we are trying to do here. What we are trying to do, we have only one thing. One goal, to do the will of God so that in the end we may receive the things that are promised. That's the only goal. That on the day of resurrection we might rise and look into the air and see the Lord Jesus in his glory and majesty and be able to rejoice that we have done his will all of life and stand before him on that day. What I've said this morning should not in any way undermine anyone's confidence in his salvation or undermine your belief in the perseverance of the saints. What it should do is to drive each one of us to our knees in complete dependence upon God looking to Jesus Christ to give us the Holy Spirit and the power of this endurance that we might walk in the will of God 
and arrive safely at the things that are promised. He is able to save us to the uttermost. He always lives in heaven and he is able to give us all grace that we need so that we arrive safely in that glorious city. So whatever trial we might pass through in this life, it is very soon coming to an end. He says in verse 37, yet a very little while he is coming. Whatever tribulation, whatever affliction, whatever loss we must pass through, when the great day comes, it will prove to be nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present life, this present time, to be unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us as the sons and daughters of God. That's what awaits us. And when that day comes, we will not be disappointed. And we will, not, we will never think that we have suffered too much for him in this life. But until that time, this is what we need. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth of your holy book that shows us the way in which we should live and shows us how we may walk in all of these things that are pleasing to you and the way of our salvation. And thank you for the glorious Savior you have given to us in that perfect man of faith, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to grant to us every grace and strength that we need. And so, Lord Jesus, help us, teach us, and guide us in these things. May we never turn back. May we never abandon your word. May we live by it in every way. May you give us light and truth out of heaven. May you shine the word of God upon our hearts and increase our faith and our strength of endurance. And may we be pleasing to you and arrive at that great day. O oh Lord, work holiness in us and have mercy upon us. We are needy, we are weak, but you are strong and mighty and you are able to help us. And Lord, for those who do not know you, may you have great mercy upon them. May their eyes be opened. May they believe in our Lord Jesus. And may they find salvation in him alone. And thank you now. Bless this day to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.